Well, hello, Rock Church. How you doing? Good to be with you. You guys sound awesome singing tonight. It's a privilege to get to lead you guys in worship, and it's my honor to continue on in our Roman series tonight. My name's Caleb Yet, and if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you after this. Uh, it's so good to be together. This series has been great so far, don't you think? It's been really encouraging, really good. Uh, I, I just want to uh, give a shout out to Bill, Josh, and Brian who have uh, been leading us thus far through Romans. And I just wanted you guys to, really, I just wanted to remind you, church, we are so blessed. I've been thinking about that each week. We are so blessed with those brothers who lead us and teach us every week, the guys who take the bulk of the teaching here at the Rock Church. I just want to encourage you to uh, give them a shout out and to encourage them, their heart for Jesus and the gospel and for his word to teach it faithfully, to share the good news, to teach you the church. Uh, they're amazing men. This isn't an easy task teaching every week, and those guys do such an amazing job. It's quite the spiritual battle, and many times the negative feedback is the loudest of voices that we hear, so uh, this is not me fishing for compliments after this. It's me encouraging you to go encourage my brothers, because I, I just want to give a shout out to my co-pastors. So um, we are so blessed here at the Rock Church by those brothers, and I just wanted to give them their props. So um, with all that being said, today we are in Romans 2. Uh, we're going to be verses 12 through 16. This is part eight of the Romans series, and I've entitled this message, Written on Their Hearts. Right now, we are, in, uh, a, we are deep into the first season, what we're calling the first season of Romans. We're talking all about God's sentence, his judgment uh, for all of humanity. That's the first few chapters of Romans, and that's where we are right now. As Brian said multiple times uh, in the last few weeks, Paul right now is throwing everyone under the bus, right? He is showing that all people have sinned and are under the wrath and judgment of God in and of themselves for their disobedience and their rejection of his truth. And each week it's been kind of like, well, I think maybe I've, I've, I've missed, you know, like he hasn't got to me yet. Well, maybe this is your week that he gets here and he throws you under the bus because he's been doing that all along. Um, whether it's an immoral sinner, the self-righteous moral person, the religious hypocrite, right? The Jew or the Gentile, everyone is headed for judgment at the end of time. Let me ask you a real question, who, uh, real quick question. Who here uh, is still sore from the spanking that Pastor Brian gave us last week, right? Like, man, I still feel that, right? I don't know about you, but I sure feel like he was talking right at me, right? And each of these messages is talking right at, at me. Does anybody else feel that way? Is it just me, right? Like, oh yeah, you're the sinful, wicked person at heart. Oh yeah, ouch, that's, that's me. Oh yeah, you're the self, self-righteous, uh, judgmental person. Yeah, ouch, that's, that's me, man. You're the, self, the judgmental hypocrite, right? Or, or this week, he's talking more about the religious moralist, tr uh, trusting in their own knowledge, right? Like, ouch, that's me. Or maybe you feel like, oh, I'm the Gentile, the non-religious who didn't know, and I'm trying to claim ignorance of truth. That's me too, right? Reading the beginning of Romans, it's like, Paul, thanks for bringing down the vibe of the party, man. Like, ouch, right? I thought church was supposed to make me feel better, and I just leave here going, man, I, I'm not a great person in, a, in and of myself. But... Though it hasn't been encouraging, super encouraging each week, that's kind of the point that Paul's getting at here, right? R.C. Sproul said it this way in his commentary of Romans. He said, before we get to the gospel, the good news of justification by faith alone, we must be brought kicking and screaming, if necessary, before the holy standard of God's law so that we might be duly persuaded of our need for the gospel. 
And I would just say, amen. That's the first few chapters of Romans. That's what Paul's getting at. He wants all people to know that they, are des they desperately need a savior to save them. Today, Paul, in our verses, will further that argument of how people, all people, Jew and Gentile, are under God's judgment. So we're going to read Romans 2, 12 through 16, and then we'll pray. We'll read all the verses here. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when, gen when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they, don't, they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. It's really light this week, so uh, we'll pray. <laughs> Ask for God's help. God, we love you. Again, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for a chance to sing to you. Thank you for a chance to be together, Lord. We just want your best tonight. We ask that you would speak to us. I pray that my words would fall flat and your words would go forth. Your truth, your spirit, your word. Jesus, we need you. That's what this whole book is about. That's what the, all of these messages are about, that we need you, Jesus. So we just ask for you to come in power tonight. We commit all of this to you. Teach us now. Pray that in your name. Amen. Church, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had the thought or been asked this type of question by someone who's opposed to Christianity? How is it fair for someone who has never been told about the Bible or about Jesus, how is it fair for them to be judged for their sin? Have you heard that question? Have you thought that question? We've probably all heard it. We've all probably all asked it to ourselves. Well, that is what Paul addresses here in verse First, in uh, verse 12, that's what we're going to read together. And it, it's our first big idea is that God is perfectly impartial in his judgment. Impartial means he shows no favoritism. He is fair. He is just. He is right. God is perfectly impartial in his judgment. I also included on this slide verse 11, which we looked at last week because it ties in so well to uh, 11 and 12 tie together so well. It says, God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So we need to understand this. God is perfectly impartial, objective, equitable, fair, and just to judge all people who have ever lived. The Jews who grew up under the law of Moses, knowing the scriptures, hearing the teachings of God, and also the Gentiles who have never heard a single word of God's law spoken in their entire life. God will judge each of them fairly, equitably, impartially, according to their actions, regardless of if they knew the law or not. We see this in Romans 2.6, that God will judge our actions, what we do. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. In Romans 2.6, also Colossians 3.25 says, For the one who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. So sin is sin. We need to understand this. There is no partiality in sin and its consequences. It doesn't matter who you are, how you grew up, what you heard, what you didn't hear. Sin is sin under the law, and sin is still sin when there is no law that has been spoken. Sin entered the world long before the law of Moses was given to 
Moses and Israel. When Adam and Eve sinned, right away death and destruction and judgment began according to their rebellion. Not according to the law, because that had not even come to be yet, right? The law of Moses. Sin is a rejection of God's perfect standard. It is a rejection of his lordship. It's a rejection of his way. With or without the law, that is sin. So God is fair to judge everyone. He will judge the Jews according to the law and also to the Gentiles who have, who have not heard the law. They will perish and be judged without the law. It's fair. It's equal. He doesn't hold the Gentile to the law, but he holds them Even without the law, he holds them guilty of sin. Many scholars call this the judgment according to the light that was given or the light that was revealed to each person. He judges accordingly. God has been this way for all of history. That is the truth. If I get that slide to go, there we go. He's been this way through all of history, fair and impartial in his judgment. Through Moses, God brought the law to Israel, and he will judge Israel according to the law. Through Jonah, God revealed himself to Nineveh. God called them to repent, not to follow the law, but to repent and to to acknowledge him. And he will judge them. He did judge them according to what was revealed to them through Noah. To those who lived in ancient China who never heard about God's decrees, he will judge them according to his revelation to them through creation and their God-given conscience. We'll look at that more in a bit. Today, though, he is the same. Again, he is fair and impartial in his judgment. To those who grew up in church, hearing about God's word, going to Sunday school, hearing the gospel, knowing God's goodness and call to repentance and faith in Jesus, he will judge those people according to the revelation given to them. To the old Muslim man living across the world who has lived his entire life in a lifestyle of Islam, hearing about this great prophet named Isa, who we call Jesus, who is from God, is sinless. If that old man does not pursue that Isa, that, that man who is perfect, and reject the false things that are in his religion, if he does not pursue what is revealed to him, and pursue justification and salvation through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, God will judge that man according to the revelation he was given. And to the untouched tribes that we have today living on islands or in the middle of the rainforest who have never heard the name of Jesus, don't know what the Bible is, God will judge them according to his revelation through creation and their own God-given conscience. Ignorance of God's law and his standard is not enough of an argument, right? To say, well, I didn't know. Again, we will unpack how Paul sees this, how he uh, argues this, how no one is truly ignorant of God, God's ways. But even if they were um, breaking the law, right, under some plea of ignorance, it does not absolve them of their guilt, right? We see this in our legal system and many legal systems across the world, right? It, it is a fundamental legal principle in the U.S. that ignorance of the law is no defense, If ignorance were accepted as an excuse, any person, right, charged with a criminal offense could claim ignorance and avoid consequences. The law applies to every person within their jurisdiction with whether they know it or not, whether they understand the law or not, right? If you went to a judge and you broke the law unknowingly and you're like, I didn't know, sorry, they're going to tell you, sorry, you still broke the law and there's a punishment, Listen to a couple of these laws that you could have unknowingly broke in Utah. 
Within the city limits of Provo, you are not allowed to throw snowballs under the throwing missiles section of the Provo Code. I lived in Provo for eight years. My kids, some of them did. We probably broke the law unknowingly. Another one here, according to Utah code, a person operating a bicycle or moped shall keep at least one hand on the handlebars at all time. Now, I don't have the ability of bike riding without having at least one hand, but my kids do. They have that ability. So they are breaking the law every day, unknowingly. They have to know that now, right? Before a judge, they would not be able to say, oh, I didn't know. It's still the law. The law, it still has to be upheld in God's perfect standard of no sin to have right relationship with him, to have eternal life. It has to be upheld. Now, the funny thing is, the Lord, you know, he knows uh, that I was given this message. So, of course, thankfully, he laid up this example right in my lap this week. Uh, maybe some of you know where this is headed. Um, I went to California a few months ago with my family on vacation, and there's these toll roads which you got to pay, and uh, they don't take card or cash or anything. You just drive through, and they're like, pay it online. So my wife and I drove through these toll roads, cut some time off. We'll pay the few bucks, no problem. My wife went on, online. It's like, well, your car hasn't registered yet that you went through this toll. So I told her, we gotta, in five days, we got to pay this. Don't forget. We forgot. Um, so I got a letter in the mail. When we got back home, hey, you didn't pay your toll uh, fee. Okay, great, no problem. I went online, paid it. The next week, I got another letter, and I grabbed the letter, and I was like, I already paid that. It showed two charges. I paid two charges there and back. Great. Put the letter away. Well, this week, I got a letter saying that there was four total charges, and I only paid half of them, and that I owed $200 fee on top of that. And I, I called the person, and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize. I didn't, I'm ignorant to this fact. I thought it was one way there, one way back, not two. And and they were nice about it. They lowered the fee. I only had to pay 20 bucks, but it's still $20 more than I needed to. It didn't matter that I was ignorant to the fact that it was two charges there and two charges back. There was a fee due. I still didn't do what I was supposed to in that. So uh, that's, it doesn't matter that I knew or not. Knowledge, just having that knowledge isn't enough. There has to be a follow-through. There has to be a keeping of the law according to knowledge, which is actually our next point here. Knowledge about God's salvation is not enough. Paul here is addressing the Jews, right? For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Here Paul is addressing the Jews, the religious people who grew up hearing of God's standard. Paul says knowing the law wasn't enough because he knows the Jews didn't keep the law perfectly. He knows he didn't keep the law perfectly, right? Just hearing about it, just knowing the scriptures, just being under the idea that you know the scriptures is not enough. For me in my example with the toll roads, it doesn't matter that I knew that the toll had to be paid, I didn't pay it, right? And so there was a consequence, there was a fee, there was, uh, I, there was a, a, uh, more money that I had to pay there. John Murray says this, the burden of this verse is that not the hearers or mere possessors of the law will be justified before God, but that in terms of the law, the criterion is doing, not hearing. Paul knew exactly who he was writing to in this verse, right? He knew the Jewish people. He was one himself. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader of the Jews at one point. He knew exactly what the Jew, Jewish people were trusting in. He knew that they would be saying things like, well, I'm good. I'm a Jew. 
right? I'm God's chosen, I'm one of God's chosen people. He chose us. We have the law of Moses. We're good. Those Gentiles, they're screwed because they don't have the law, but we're good. We know what God wants. Jesus spoke directly to this, to the Jewish people in John 8, basically saying, right, that they should not assume that they are truly free people just because they were part of Israel. And they responded to Jesus in this way. In John 8, they answered Jesus, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So you see that that's the mentality that Paul is speaking to these religious people. He knows that the rest that they rest on the fact that they know the scripture. They've heard the scripture. They know what they're supposed to do, but they don't do it, right? Even if they're truly not doing it, they're trusting in hearing the law. Paul is speaking from example here. For about half of his life, he was under the law, trying to do everything by the law, Pharisees not believing in Jesus, right? He was under the impression that knowing the law was enough. He was one of the most committed Pharisees ever, he would have presumed on God's grace and mercy for Israel to get a free pass because they had the law, not that they did it. He would have looked at the Gentiles and said, there's no chance for you. I'm good. I have God's law. But Paul came to understand that that was not enough because he understood in his heart of hearts, he knew he had not kept the law perfectly. He knew his people had not kept the law perfectly, and he was under God's judgment. He knew that that was the standard. So Paul knows what he is saying here in Romans 2. It's not just in knowing the law, but in keeping the law perfectly that someone is justified. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you think like Paul did at first, right? Or the Jewish people did. You think, hey, I grew up at church. I grew up knowing the Bible. I heard the Bible all the time. I know what is right. I know what's wrong. I know the Ten Commandments, right? I've memorized verses in Sunday school. I've always been a Christian. I was baptized as a young child, right? Well, have you lived it? Do you live it? Has it changed anything? Do you, have you never sinned? Have you lived under God's standard perfectly? It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous. It is not enough just to go to church and know about Jesus. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you tr trusted in him? Have you truly repented and made him your Lord? Have you given your life to him? Has he changed you? Listen to this and see if it doesn't give you pause to assess in our own hearts if we are truly, if we have truly trusted in his work alone or are we fooling ourselves. Matthew 5, Jesus talking, says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We need to understand, church, knowledge of the Bible, knowing who Jesus is, knowing his plan for salvation, knowing his standard is not enough. Calling yourself a Christian is not enough. Trying to live the lifestyle isn't enough. Many who have done that will be told, I never knew you on judgment day. Are you trusting in Jesus' work alone. Again, back in Romans 2, Paul is doing his best to peel back all the ways. Sorry, I shouldn't have put that one up yet. <laughs> uh, he's trying to peel back all of the ways that we are trusting in anything, anyone, any hope, any work 
other than Jesus. That is the point of Romans chapter 2. He's trying to, to just keep poking at all of us to show us that we are not good enough. We are not, we have no hope apart from Jesus. That's what makes the good news of Jesus actually so good. What Steele shared, right? That Jesus in his mercy, in his grace has saved us, has given us a way of salvation. That's why it is good because we are so desperate and lost without him. We are doomed on our own. Any attempt we have to feel good about ourselves, our knowledge, our upbringing, or anything like that is just misguided trust. Now, Paul is going to shift from the Jews to the Gentiles in this next verse and present how God's just and perfectly, how he is just and how he's perfectly impartial, again, in his judgment of those who do not have the law of Moses. He's kind of referring back to verse 12 here in verses 14 to 15, explaining why that is. He is going to explain uh, what he summed up saying, all who sinned without the law will perish without the law. So I've summed this up with our next point, is that because of our God-given conscience, we are all without excuse. Verses 14 and 15, let's read them again. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is, in, is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them. So Paul says that God created all people in his image. And because of that, he placed in their very hearts and souls the truth about what is right and wrong in God's sight. We know of God in our very in, innermost being. We are without excuse when it comes to being rightfully judged by Jesus on judgment day. We know when we're honest with ourselves that we are created by a creator. John Piper said this, every human being in the world has an inborn knowledge of God and his law. Paul says that the work of the law is written on our hearts, on the Gentiles' hearts, those who don't have the law, the knowledge of God and what is wrong. We know that. Paul puts this word uh, to, sorry, and Paul puts a word to this knowledge, this idea, and it's called the conscience, right? God has given each one of us a conscience, which we know to be the knowledge of what is wrong and right when we do something, when we sin, right? This isn't just like, don't put mustard on your hot dog, right? Like that's not a conscience of that's wrong. Sorry if you do that, that's gross. Uh, it's not just that, oh, my conscience is telling me not to do that. No, it is right and wrong. It is do not steal, do not lie, do not cheat, do not wrong somebody else, right? Be honest with others. Treat people better than yourselves. And when we don't do that, what do we say? Oh man, my conscience is just killing me, right? It bears witness to our soul. If we're honest with ourselves, when we have done what is wrong, our world knows about this conscience, right? Even though they try to just brush it off, right? And lie to themselves, they don't want to admit that this thing inside of them condemns them. It is what they know to be true, what we all know to be true, right? When we lay our head on our pillow, when we're honest about ourselves, when we know what we have done is wrong, when we are awakened in the middle of the night and we are most honest with ourselves, that is our conscience speaking to us that you are not doing what you were made to be. Our conscience bears witness to the fact that we deserve judgment for our sins, 
right? We see this in movies, even kids' shows, right? They try to make it all cute and less weighty and less serious, right? You got a little angel on one shoulder, a little devil on the other shoulder. But that's not what the conscience is. It is something much more serious. It is this amazing fact that informs everything about who we are and why we have value as humans. It is the fact that all humans are created in God's image. We are made in his very likeness. He made us from the dust and then breathed his breath of life into our lungs so that we, are, we can know we are not just some random creatures, right, that just came about by happenstance. We were created for a purpose, and God gave us a soul for a purpose. We were given value by our creator. We are created in his likeness. And as we walk in his image, we have been given a conscience that in the deepest depths of our soul tells us what we are doing is wrong, that we are headed for judgment. We know deep down what is contrary to God's nature and God's law. That's why right away Adam and Eve tried to hide, right? After they sinned, they wanted to cover themselves. They didn't want God to see because they knew they were wrong. No one had to tell them that they were wrong. They knew it. That is why Cain hid after killing Abel. That's why David tried to cover up his adultery, right? Why Peter ran away ashamed because of his denial of Jesus. All people have a conscience, and of course, our conscience, we can sear it, we can damage it, we can ignore it and, and no longer heed to it, its warnings, but it's still there. It's God-given, and we are without excuse. The work of the law is written on our hearts to bear witness to our works and our sins, even from the earliest ages, right? We know this. If you have little kids or you've been around little kids, you know, man, sin is just deep in their hearts and they know what's wrong, even at a young age, right? No one has to tell a child to wait for mom to look away to sneak a cookie, right? No one has to tell a child to check that the coast is clear before they steal their brother's toy, right? No one has to tell a child to look around, make sure no one saw that I broke that thing, right? And just leave it, right? They know in their heart of hearts that that's wrong, they are wrong before a holy God. You and I are wrong before a holy God in and of ourselves. In verse 14, it also says that some Gentiles by nature do what the law requires, meaning that even without the law, because we were made in God's image, in his likeness, we are capable of doing the right thing at times, imperfectly as we may, right? To do what the law requires. What is that? What does the law require? What's the point of the law? It's to love God and love people, right? To teach us how to honor our creator and how to be kind to others, how to love them. We know that being selfless and just and equitable is right. And we know that when that doesn't happen, it is wrong. That's why the world cries out when they see something evil so many times, right? When they see oppression, right? When they see murder and lying and stealing and abuse, right? And so many people, they know adultery is wrong. That's why so many of those things have been universally abhorrent for most all people. All those things go against the very nature of God and his law that was written on our hearts and our souls. All of this further builds, right, what Paul said in Romans 1, right, about creation. Josh talked about this a few weeks ago, that all people are without excuse because of our conscience. We see that in Romans 2 and what Josh talked about in Romans 1, right? Just to remind us, this is what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We suppress our conscience, the truth that we know that we're created in God's image. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. We are without excuse. God has revealed himself in everything we see around us and in us. Our conscience bears witness. God is just and right and perfectly impartial in judging man according to their conscience and how it attests to what they should have been. Now, before we unpack the final verse for this week, verse 16, I want to go on a quick little tangent from two words that we're going to see in verse 16. If those stood out to you, if you remember, Paul said the words, my gospel, right? What does that mean? Some people get freaked out by that. Rather than saying God's gospel or the gospel of Jesus, this time Paul says my gospel. Many times in Paul's writings, Paul says the phrase my gospel. In Romans, he'll say it again. He also numerous times in his writing in the book of Romans as well, the letter to the Romans, he says the gospel of God. He says that in the very first verse of this letter. In that verse, Paul said he was called to be an apostle a sent one, right? Josh told us that we are a sent one for the gospel of God. That's what Paul was. So is this God's gospel or Paul's gospel? We know, we need to understand that it is God's gospel, but Paul sees so clearly that he was given this message by God. He was commissioned by Jesus to spread this good news. That's what gospel means, right? Good news. It was his good news to share. It was the good news that had been given to him, right? We see that in 1 Timothy, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Paul knows it is the good news of his life, right? Given to him by Jesus. It is Paul's message to share with the world. So he says, it is my good news to tell you. Christian, do you know that you have been commissioned by God with the gospel? You have been given a message, given good news to change your life and to go share with others. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells believers to go, make disciples, all nations, share with them the good news, teach them God's teachings, baptize them. So do you see the gospel as entrusted to you? Does your life show that the gospel is your good news to live? Is that the truth that has changed you and directed every part of your life, every big decision you make? the career you have, where you live, how your family spends its time, what you do with your hobbies, what you don't do? Or is it just something that you just kind of tack on the end of your day? Is it just something you live and you share when you have time? Just something to think about there for each one of us. Does it change the way we live? Now let's move on to our final point, and it's a sobering one. It's this, Jesus will perfectly judge every sin, known and unknown. Romans 2.16 says, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So let's address one thing here real quickly. The beginning of this main point. Some might say, you might have heard it, you might have said it, you might believe it yourself. Jesus doesn't judge me. Jesus loves me. He loves the world. He doesn't judge anyone. He would never judge anyone. You should be more like Jesus and not judge people. Well, 
He will. He is the one who will exact judgment on the world, on all people. We see this in John 5. Jesus said this, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Yes, Jesus loves the world, and he will perfectly judge the world. He loves you. And he will judge you. You will stand before him as judge and give an account for your life. You and I will do that, all of us, every person. We will have to give an account for what we have done. Jesus will perfectly judge sin, every known sin, every unknown sin, everything we think we have been able to hide from others. It is not hidden from Jesus. And he will judge that. He will bring all things that are hidden in darkness out into the light. And that is not just our actions and our words, but also our hearts and our thoughts and our intentions and our motives and our emotions and our secret thoughts or secret words or our secret desires. We see this in Jeremiah. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. We see in Proverbs, all the ways of man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Also in Psalm 139, the psalmist says, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Jesus will judge sins. One day, every person will be brought before the throne of Christ to the perfect judge, the impartial judge. We will stand before him and have to answer for our lives. Every choice we ever made, every sin we ever committed, any, every action, every thought, every word, we will give an account. I heard it like, it, uh, like this one time. I don't think this is exactly how it will be. But for our sake to understand, imagine if you sat down at the end of time in a room by yourself, just you and Jesus, and you sat down before this screen and you watched, you had to rewatch every second of your life play before you. Jesus, the judge, is watching with you. And he will say, what, what about that? What happened then? What were you thinking then? Right? Every horrible thought, every secret lie, every time you stole, every time you thought of a lustful thought, every time you clicked on a website you shouldn't have, every time you hated your neighbor, your family member in secret, every time you were envious and jealous of someone else, every time you cheated on your taxes or a test, even if you feel like no one found out, Jesus did. And we all have to watch all of this play out there will be a reckoning, a judgment, decreed, a bill will come due because the wages of sin is death. Paul will say that here in the next few chapters. A bill that has to be paid. There is a sentence given out to all of us because of our sins, known and unknown, and we will earn a death penalty. Again, this is a sobering reality. 
It should be for all of us. Paul, in Romans, he is doing just this. He wants it, and when you read this, for there to be a quiet room and say, yep, that's me. I deserve judgment, right? He wants to strip away every last ounce of false hope that we think we will be justified on our own right before a holy God because we knew the law or because we never heard the law. We all, in and of ourselves, earn judgment for our sin before the perfect, just judge. But that's not the end of the story. And we're going to get amazing news here in the rest of Romans that just we can throw ourselves on the mercy and the grace of Jesus. He is the judge, but he is also the Savior who loves us and died for us. As we continue in Romans, when we come to chapter 3 in a couple weeks, we will see that through, that. Though everyone will face judgment for their sins, there is a good news, a gospel, God's gospel, Paul's gospel, right? That says Jesus has paid the bill for you on the cross already. And it will only be through grace, through faith in Jesus that we can be justified. To bring this to a, hopefully a more hopeful ending for us as we leave. As I studied for this, I kept having this, I, the, the story of the prodigal son pop in my head. You've heard the story right, of a young man who wanted his inheritance early, wanted to reject his father's good grace, to not live under it anymore. He wanted, he demanded it of his father, and he went and blew it all, all of his inheritance on partying and fleshly desires, knowing what his father would want of him. He went and sinned and blew it all. And once he got to a desperate low point, knowing that I have nothing good and of myself. He was eating food given to the pigs. He knew he had made the biggest mistake of his life. He had no hope, like we have no hope before the just judge until he remembered his father's kindness and goodness. And he went humbly and threw himself down at the feet of his father and begged for mercy. His father embraced him, restored him as his son, forgave his offense and rebellion and wiped the slate clean. That is where Paul is headed in Romans. When after all these weeks of studying Romans 1 and 2, and we just keep going, yep, that's me. Yep, I deserve judgment. Yep, I have no good in of myself. When we realize that we have no hope to escape judgment, when we are at a rock-bottom place, when we come to the end of ourselves with no hope like the man who rejected his father, and we're sitting eating the swill with the pigs, we can throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and plead for his mercy. It is in that moment that we find peace and justification before the judgment of Jesus. He says, yes, you are guilty. Yes, you deserve judgment. Yes, you sinned. Yes, you rejected me. Yes, I deserve to judge you, but I have already paid the penalty for you. I have wiped this slate clean. I forgive you of your offense, and I will make you mine. That is the hope that we have in Jesus. And we'll continue looking at that in Romans. It'll be great. If you feel convicted today of your sin, if you sat here knowing I'm caught, I will be judged. If you see your need for Jesus as your savior, because you know if he's not your savior, you will see him as your judge and you will be judged rightly and condemned. Fall before him. Fall at his feet tonight. Find mercy and grace tonight to escape his judgment. Like Steele said, come talk to one of us. We'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. 
Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your justice and your righteousness, Lord, that you will have no offense go unnoticed. It'll either be paid by us and our death penalty or it will have already been paid by you on the cross. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you that if today is the day that they feel caught, that they feel convicted, that they would turn to you and find mercy at your feet, Jesus. For the rest of us, Lord, would you help us who know you, would you help us walk according to what you have done for us? Lord, to not trust in hearing the word, not trust in hearing the Bible, but to be doers of the word by your grace, to walk in the mercy and the goodness that you've given us, Lord. Would you help us? We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.